if you don't know me, my name's Josiah. Uh, if you do know me, my name's Josiah. Um, and sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, and I'm really excited. I'm one of the youth directors here, as I said, and uh, our young people are amazing. If you have high schoolers, send them along on Friday night, 7 p.m. We're having a great time down here. It's a riot. It's lots of fun. Uh, make sure they're here. Uh, I can't believe it's four weeks till Easter. Four weeks. I feel like last year we were getting ready for Easter and then kind of COVID here, we all went home and we kind of missed that celebration altogether. So I feel like this Easter's two years in the making. We're counting down, four weeks left. I'm very excited. It's going to be a good one. Uh, and so because it's Easter really soon uh, and I got this message, I'm really excited because I get to preach about Jesus, which if you know anything about preaching, that's a really good idea to start with, <laughs> preaching about Jesus. No, I'm really excited. Uh, Christianity for thousands of years has shared this message that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. It's a really simple phrase, really powerful. Uh, And it usually goes along with something like this, that he died for you and he died for me. Right? Jesus loves you. He died for you. And that's that's an incredible phrase. And it's something we're going to kind of dig in today because it's a little bit like, I want to ask the question, how is Jesus dying proof of that? Like someone's death usually isn't proof of their love. Why did Jesus die? Because I want to ask this question, because when you look at it, there's probably a couple of perspectives to why Jesus died. Um, And I want to ask that question. I don't want to just assume anything this morning. We're going to kind of look at it and be real about it, because uh, if, if this other perspective on why Jesus died was just that maybe he got arrested, he got hung on a cross by the Romans and he died, Maybe that doesn't sound quite as appealing as Jesus died for you and for me. And do we as Christians have anything to say for that? Do we have anything to say that Jesus' death wasn't just because he got arrested, that is actually on purpose? So we're going to look at that. We're going to ask that question today. Did Jesus die for a reason or was he just arrested and sentenced to death? Even one of the criminals hanging on a cross next to Jesus questioned Jesus. He said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. Even someone hanging on a cross next to Jesus challenges him on who he is, on his abilities, on what he's there for. If you're the Christ, save yourself, save us. Like this, this really pulls into question, if Jesus was the Christ, how could he allow himself to be captured? How could he allow himself to be hung on a cross and die? I think, fortunately, we're living in hindsight. We might have a few answers, but how could Jesus allow himself to do that? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to unpack the scriptures and see, do we as Christians have an answer for that question? I think followers of Jesus might begin with a verse uh, like this one from John 15. It says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down, one, lay down one's life for his friends. This is something Jesus said. A quote Jesus said to his disciples, he describes the greatest love imaginable, to lay down your life for your friends. And that's a beautiful picture of love. It's so amazing. And we we see that love is that action to lay down one's life for his friends. And not only is it a description of love, it's actually a prediction of what would happen to Jesus, his death. He predicts his own death. But I want to kind of keep asking the question. I don't just want to go from there, well, Jesus said he would die for us, and therefore he must have. It seems a little bit too convenient. 
if you ask me. So we're going to unpack it through the scriptures, go a little bit deeper today, because I don't want us to have any question as to why Jesus died. We as Christians, if this is one of the most important things of all of creation, I stuffed up Christianity. How good's that? Gee, if this is one of the most important things, we need to know why we believe this. We need to know, we need to be so sure that our faith is based off this moment. So let's unpack some of the scriptures and see. Because I think when we think of Jesus' ministry, we think of him, we remember some incredible moments. We remember miracles he performed, people being healed, people being raised from the dead. We remember these incredible moments. We remember the crowds being so thick that people are getting like pulled in from the roof. They're dropping in from above. We remember these incredible moments. And we can often talk about them, but I want to talk about today some of the other sides of the story. The first story I want to bring up is from Luke chapter 4. And and this passage, Jesus gets his first opportunity to kind of share with his own hometown. He's in the temple and he he reads this passage from the scroll of Isaiah. We found we find the account in Luke 4, 18 to 19, but he's quoting Isaiah 61. Jesus says this: The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus speaks with such boldness, with such authority as he reads this text from Isaiah. He says, this scripture was written about me. He's speaking it out. This is who I am. This is me. And the crowd are amazed. They're shocked that Jesus would speak like this. I mean, they all know Jesus. He's Joseph's son, the carpenter's son. They know who he is. And here he is speaking with such authority. And they're shocked. And actually, the the dialogue goes on between the crowd and Jesus. And he shares a few stories from Scripture. And all of a sudden, we come to this moment in verses 28 to 30 says this, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Like, like if you read this story, this is a, a silly moment. Like this is kind of one of those moments, this angry mob. They're infuriated by the words Jesus speaks. They drag him as a mob up to the top of this hill. They're ready to throw him over. And then passing on his way, he went through the midst of them. This has to be the worst mob in the history of mobs. Like... Like a mob is like angry people working together. You know, America's still dealing with the repercussion of an angry mob storming their capital. They're still dealing with it. It's been, what, a month, weeks. They're still dealing with it. Or an example a little bit closer to home. Uh, Every year my family, uh, my extended family has a Christmas party. Um, 
Now, this extended family is on my mum's side. I'm sorry to throw you under the bus this morning, mum. And her family is from Ipswich. Uh, I'm not going to comment on Ipswich. I'm going to let you fill in the blanks. Okay? So this family, they're a bit crazy. They're a bit uh, all over the place. Uh, I don't actually know how I'm related to all these people when I go to this event every year. Like, I don't know if they're uncles, cousins, they've just married in. I don't know. The crowd grows every year. It's crazy. Anyway, at this party, it is normal for a water fight to break out. This is the family tradition. Some people open presents. Some people have nice songs. We fight each other with water. And uh, the most recent party we had, we were at a property with a pool. Uh, and, and that's really good when you're water fighting people because there's lots of water in a pool. And if you can get them in the pool, you've successfully won. Uh, and so usually what happens is one of the younger kids does something a little bit too much to an adult, and the adult decides it's time for the kid to go in the pool. And so they get thrown into the pool, and it begins. But as it kind of builds up and builds up, usually it starts with the youngest and the smallest. They're the easiest targets. And then it works its way up to some of the bigger uncles, the bigger cousins. Uh, And being from Ipswich, not all of them are very small. There's some really big dudes. There's some big uncles, some big cousins. And so usually by the point where they become the target, the whole family has formed this angry mob. They're chasing people at full pace around this property, dragging them to the pool. Merciless, ruthless. Everyone is going in. Even if it's discovered this person has something valuable, I don't know, your phone's in your pocket, you've got like a nice watch on or something, they get to the edge of the pool. It's not like, oh, we better let them go. It's no, someone's holding them down. People are stealing their stuff out of their pockets and then they're thrown in. This is what I think of when I think of an angry mob. And then I read this scripture about Jesus and the angry mob gets him to the edge of the cliff and he walks on his way. Never in my family have we got them to the edge of the pool and then just let them go. Jesus walked on his way and and the amazing truth is that Jesus couldn't be held back by these men. Jesus couldn't be held back by humanity wanting to throw him off a cliff. Jesus was the Christ. He was the Son of God. Nothing could hold him back. It was not his time. And so he walked on his way. So we can't rule off Jesus' death as just, well, he was just arrested. He couldn't do anything about it. He died. Jesus walked away from the mob. This is not the only example of an encounter like this in Jesus' life. When Jesus rose to fame, he was actually increasingly hated by another group of people. And people all the time were planning to kill him, planning or attempting to kill him. Another example that I want to read today is found in John 10, verse 31 to 39. It says, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. I like that again, like this this is happening all the time. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father, For which of these works do you stone me? What a loaded question. The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. This is actually something he quotes from the book of Psalms. He's quoting Psalms where someone says that you are gods. And he says, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, 
you are blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. This passage in John is kind of similar to the one that I read before. Again, it comes to this moment where they try and seize him, but he escapes from them. But there's something different that I wanted to draw out of this passage, is that these people questioned Jesus. They were about to stone him. And Jesus was someone that I call the master debater. The master uh, these arguments, these conversations. He could not be out-reasoned. He spoke with them and actually challenged the accusations they were throwing against him. He had the ability countless times with different religious leaders or different groups of people that he would question them, he would debate with them, and they were always found speechless. They had no answer to him. He was this master at debating and reasoning and it, and it helps paint this picture that we need to remember today, is that Jesus chose the cross. When he was arrested and accused, there wasn't any argument he couldn't, he couldn't deal with. He was the master at debating and reasoning. Even when a crowd who wanted to stone him was questioning him, he had the answers. Jesus chose the cross. These two examples are just two. There's so many in the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life. Just a quick look through, I found so many. Uh, I want to read just a few, just to mention, just so in case you don't believe me, go and look through the Gospels. Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, how they might destroy him. There's other examples in Matthew chapter 21, 26. In Mark chapter 3, chapter 11, the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him. More examples in Mark in 12 and 14. In Luke chapters 4, 11, 13, in 20, it says, The chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken a parable against them. Another example in chapter 22 of Luke. In John 5, in seven, chapter 7 of John, I like this one. I think it paints a picture of all these examples, what was missing. Therefore, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. There's more examples again in John 8, 10, and 11. All of these examples at times, people were plotting against him, were attempting to kill him. And these examples don't even include that at his birth, the government tried to kill all the babies, including him, because they heard a new king was come. It doesn't include the events of his journey to the cross. All of these are separate accounts of people attempting or plotting to kill Jesus. And it brings us to this moment when we see the events that lead Jesus to the cross because the way that he behaves is totally different. The way that Jesus acts in these final moments of his life are completely different to these other examples where people try to kill him. You know, Jesus knew that the cross was coming. In every gospel, Jesus talks to his disciples and says he knows that one amongst them would betray him. Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed, and yet he didn't run away. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays and is in excruciating emotional pain knowing the torture he's about to go through. 
He knows what's happening. And, and the garden was a place he prayed often. So when Judas had betrayed him, he knew where to find Jesus. That was where he would be. He brings the guards, the soldiers, and Jesus is standing there. And other than a moment where he reveals his identity and says, I am, and the soldiers fall over at the power of that, he doesn't flee. He doesn't resist arrest. He doesn't walk away like he had done before. He's taken before different people and accusations are made against him. Describes them as false accusations. He's, he's being painted as this criminal who he isn't. And the master debater, the person who could reason with anyone, remains silent. He behaves so differently. Why, if he could reason with anyone, did he remain silent? Do you know it was prophesied in Isaiah about the Messiah? In Isaiah 53 verse 7. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What a powerful passage. A prophecy that Jesus knew if the band wanted to come. If you've never read Isaiah 53, I want you to go home and read it. Every week, the past few weeks, as it's been sharing, hey, when we, when we preach and we, we mention these scriptures, go home, read it for yourself. I want you to especially go read this one. It talks about the Messiah that would come. It was written in 619 to 533 B.C., which is approximately 530 to 620 years before Jesus is born. So we know it's written in this time period, hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. And it describes him walking silently like a lamb to slaughter. And we come to the events of the cross. And there Jesus is silent before accusations. He didn't walk away. He chose the cross. He didn't argue he didn't run, he didn't flee, he didn't fight back. He chose the cross. He knew that this was his time. All of the other times before weren't correct, but this was his time. We know that he chose the cross. We can see that, see the way he lived his life. We see the difference in these examples. The question then comes, why? What motivation could Jesus possibly have to endure a painful death. Why did he choose the cross? We come to this incredible verse. Hebrews 12.2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy... For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What joy is there in murder? What joy is there in the whips on his back? What joy was there in the beatings that left him unrecognizable? What joy could Jesus have possibly been looking to as he endures the cross? Here's the answer. The answer is you. You are the joy that was set before him. You were the joy that was set before Jesus. You are his motivation for enduring the cross. 
as he went through this brutal trial, as he went through the cross, Jesus looked through the pages of history, the future that would come, and he saw you and I. He said, you are my joy. You are my joy. See, we were separated from Jesus through our sin, and the cross was the only thing that we could look to. Jesus' death and resurrection is the only thing that we could look to to see that restoration of that relationship with God. You are His joy. To be in relationship with you would drive God to the cross. What a moment. What a moment. So you know what that means? is that It wasn't just guards or nails that held him to the cross. It was the knowledge that through the cross, you and I could be in relationship with him. It was love that held him to the cross as he looked forward and saw you and I responding to that moment, responding to that moment. So what do we do now? What do we do now? We know that Jesus chose the cross. If he didn't want to die, he would have done a number of things. He could have debated them. He could have walked away. He chose the cross. So what do we do? What do we do with this knowledge of his love for us? I think this message sits really well in the season we are as a church. Past few weeks, if you've been here, Past As has preached on repentance. And repentance is our response to God's love. Repentance is the attitude that we need to come to God with. It's when we turn from our sin and we turn and look to Jesus. We look to Jesus as Jesus looked to us on the cross. Let's come with repentance. For those that know this story, let's be reminded of God's love every day. This isn't just some nice story that we reason away as, ah, God loves us. No, Jesus chose this for you and for I. God loves us. So this morning as I wrap up, it's an opportunity for you if you've never experienced this love before. Maybe you've walked in here not knowing where you sit with God. Maybe you don't know that love that can transform your life. This could be your moment. If every head could bow and every eye could close, I want to give you this opportunity right now. If in your heart you know that God is doing something, that this love of Jesus who would die for you has come into your heart and you know that you need Him, you might not know everything about Him yet, but you just know that you need Him. I want to give you an opportunity in just a sec when I count to three to put your hand up as a sign that God has changed your heart. It's not your hand being raised that's going to save you. It's that decision that belief that I spoke about earlier, that belief in your heart that you belong to Jesus. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We believe this message will inspire you into greater intimacy with Jesus, relationship with others, and influence in your world. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit us online at www.elevationchurch.com.au or alternatively, pop into our Redlands location. 